should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Oh, and welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because I love burritos at 4 a.m., parties that never end, dogs that love cats, and twins. This is lost on me. My I'm name is Kevin, reference. and I'm joined as always by my co-host Benedict, and I love you too, okay. Benedict. What's the most surreal ceremony you've ever seen? Ceremony, the fucking ceremony. Queen's Jubilee. The last week. <laughs> um, I don't know. A, a gold, a, a golden chariot with a hologram being pulled down the yeah, street. Yeah, I think that's probably it. I don't think there's much that can compete with that. Um, <laughs> what the fuck was that? The other, I mean, my graduation was entirely in Latin for like half an hour. That was oh, that man. was weird. Why? Uh, tradition, something. You know. people threw off the Catholic Church. You realize you can you can change. Yeah, that, but right? Latin's like Latin's a serious language. Like, <laughs> oh, is it? You know it that now? if you graduate, the one that if, literally no one knows how to pronounce yeah, that, that one. one We're yeah. serious about yeah, that. No, the 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 if the and I think I had to say do fidem, which means like <laughs> this. I swear. Um, I don't know what I swore to do. Probably upheld the colonial empire. Like. I, <laughs> Um, you but, pledged eternal fealty to Cecil Rhodes. Probably, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's fun. What about you? Presumably um, also the Jubilee, which is what sparked no, the question. No, that is what sparked the question, but I have a different answer, oh, though. Okay. Um, it was the, the ceremony for Angela Merkel when she oh, uh, okay. left her position, right. at which the massive band played the 1990s techno hit sandstorm oh is that what was playing when i when that's I what was playing joined... when we got okay, okay, okay. i got you i got you because look i played dance dance revolution sure as a didn't we all i was, was fully aware that was one of the most difficult songs of that game because yeah, it's got a crazy beat yeah and then beat. and then german chancellor stepping down a moment that is supposed to be solemn, uh, a solemn, and they're playing the dance, dance revolution well, song. I presume it's a German. I presume it's a famous German song. It might be her I... favorite song. You never know. <laughs> okay, if a oh, there's plenty of good to be said. That would make me like her so much more than I do. Uh, honestly, her she she was the world leader throughout the time of the, yeah, the Trump so. years. Um, if she's a huge fan of Sandstorm, she is a thousand times cooler. Yeah. She is a thousand times cooler yeah, if that's sure. the case. For sure. When, when was, uh, that was a while ago, presumably. It's like a year and a half, two years ago now, I think. Yeah. Something yeah, like yeah. that. Anyways, Benedict, you probably know, but uh, some of the people out there, they may not. What exactly it is that we do here on this program, or them, I would say, it's the show where we go deep, 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 deep. To plumb the depths of right-wing thought by reviewing a chapter from work of conservative nonfiction and in between, taking a look at other examples of the right, doing their best to make America hate again. Benedict, start us off. Do you have a hot take for us? I do, week? actually, and I'm prepared this week for once. Um, <laughs> it is that most cooking equipment is completely redundant. You need, like, okay. maybe, like, one pan. You don't even need a mixing Did bowl. Did you, you just can... realize that that wok I bought you a while back can do, like, 90% no, of I the knew, things? No, I knew. Like, I, I, my honest <laughs> advice to people is if you can only have one pan, it should be a wok. 
Um, so versatile, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the like, I don't need like I I used to have these giant mixing bowls that would take up so much space in mm-hmm. my cupboard. I just use my Dutch oven as a mixing bowl now. <laughs> Why would I do anything else? This makes so much more sense. Like I can because eventually I you're so gonna crack the enamel and you're yeah, gonna be mad that's that you true. ruined it. But Dutch ovens have a like reset. Dutch ovens have a lifetime warranty, so Ooh, the the enamel yeah. shouldn't be crackable. So that's why you spend that money? That's, that's why you spend that exactly money. why you ask for it for a Christmas gift from people with more <laughs> money than you. <laughs> what about you? What's your hot take? Uh, unfortunately, I have a serious hot take. Oh this no! Week, which I always Boo. try to avoid. Uh, but you know, I want to highlight the fact that uh, based off of both my recent uh, additional focus on Tucker Carlson and also what we read in this book this week. Mm-hmm. That one of the more important splits on the right at this moment is between people like Mark Levin, who, as I've always said, is behind the curve, right? Continually yep. behind the curve. He has no idea where the current catch sympathies up. Yep. lie. Right. And people like Tucker Carlson, who are leading right-wing thought at this moment. Um, and people like Mark Levin don't, don't really understand what Tucker Carlson is saying um, because they, they don't pay as much attention to what's really going on. And plus, Mark Levin is just old and out of focus and out of touch and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But this split is sort of epitomized by the fact that Tucker Carlson no longer pretends to be a libertarian, right? Did he at one point? uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was a Cato Institute fellow at one point. Oh, yeah, sure he was. Yeah, right? Um, And uh, Tucker Carlson, he's he's just fully embraced that third position fascism, Mm -hmm. right? It's openly what it is. Um, He will criticize capitalism, not for the reasons that anyone else criticizes capitalism, but purely we've talked about for those social reasons that he cares about so Mm -hmm. much. While Mark Levin, as we will see in today's episode as we read this chapter, is still all on that anarcho-capitalist libertarian BS, right? He's Mm -hmm. still all about that stuff. And it stood out to me so much this week, probably because I was reading this chapter as I was uh, listening to some Tucker Carlson. <laughs> oh, no. Why do you do this? Also, how do you concentrate on two things at the same time? Like, I have, oh, to, I I always have to absolutely have. force myself to read oh, these things. I always have to have background noise. I'm the kind of person. Yeah, I, me I do too, have but it's ADHD normally like it's variety, normally so. white noise. No, I have to have like something going on in the background. And I'm not necessarily focusing on that other thing, but... Uh, you know, stuff sticks out, and I will I will get caught on that for a moment. But okay. my ADHD would bounce me around from thing one to thing two all the time anyways, even mm-hmm. if I didn't have that. So it's just providing myself with whatever that other noise okay. is that I can focus on. That's what it all is. That's fair. Anyways, why don't we move on for a moment this week. Benedict, what's on your bookshelf? Uh, on my bookshelf this week is... Sorry, I'm not looking around. You, you didn't come have back to one, me. did you? I didn't. You no, didn't I did the hot take. I did the hot take and I didn't do it. Benedict, we have Frankenstein. over 100... Why not? Frankenstein. We have over 100 episodes of this program. Yeah, I know. And you still don't realize I'm going through that my you whole need to have book. a fucking bookshelf item. I'm going through my whole item. bookcase. I'm not like you. I'm actually... So, uh, Frankenstein. Read Frankenstein. But also, I'm watching a French show by the people that did Call My Agent called uh, Standing Up, I think, which is good. It's funny. Watch that, okay. I guess. What about you? Good. What's on your bookshelf? This week, Benedict, I am recommending a, se- a show which is now returned for its third season and which is fucking beautiful all is the way through. Is it The through. Boys again? It's The Boys. Yeah. The Boys is back, Benedict. The boys is oh, back God. in town. 
See, I would had, be I would take more criticism from you if you didn't do the exact same recommendation like every time there's a new season of a show. Yeah, if you would fucking watch this show, you would understand. I have tried to get you to watch this show. This is a superhero show you would enjoy because it's not about superheroes. This is a critique, not a, so much a critique. It's a satire mm-hmm. of the superhero genre. And, yeah, I, and it's I, I know what it fucking is. glorious. I know what it is. Yeah, I just, it's outstanding. I, 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 there's now three seasons is too long for a satire. Oh, so just fucking watch it already. Maybe. But it's, just it's fucking on Amazon Prime it. and I'm boycotting it. I'm kidding. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, that is not true. I know for a fact you're an Amazon Prime member. <laughs> that is, yep, you're right. Uh, but anyways, better moving on. Housekeeping this week. Remember to rate and review us on the iTunes. Follow us on all of the socials. There's so oh so many of the socials, aren't there? There are. Uh, and a couple of couple of updates this week. Uh, first off, for last week's show, I wanted a note for people that I linked to uh, an SPLC page uh, with more neo Confederate groups. We really only focused on the League of the South on that episode uh, because they are, I think, the most important neo Confederate group. They're definitely the largest, and of course, they had direct involvement with the Unite the Right rally. So that's why I focused on them. But for people who want more information on this sort of stuff, I always want to provide those resources. So you can check that in the show notes. Go check out that page. It talks about some more of these groups and the things they do. Um, Our patron only for the second one for last month. Dummy Kratz it was terrible, is now folks. available. It was not good, folks. Oh, good God. It was amazing, wasn't it? <laughs> it, was, it was not. In fact, I would, I would not say amazing is a word that I Benedict would Benedict and I sat down for two hours two on Friday. Two hours. This is how much I love just, people. And just watched the whole thing and recorded us doing it. And uh, boy, was that something, it wasn't was, it? It was definitely something. I, I couldn't tell you exactly what, but it was and something. I, it, it was. Uh, it, this is, by the way, if you don't know, is a diamond and silk movie produced by a third rate um clickbait blog it's boy is it boy howdy wow is it something (laughs) yeah it was uh it was certainly something yeah i'm not i'm not sure exactly what it was yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. it was it was uh, well. We watched like the edited version, right? Is the thing right? We we only watched about half of it. We watched, I think, what they edited to release on Newsmax, like a TV cut version that mm-hmm. they did, trying to get people to go buy the full version. And I have put out the bat call. People can find me that full version because it seems to have been scrubbed from the internet. I cannot find it anywhere. Uh, but if you can find it, send it to me. But we watched that, and I think at some point we might release a short portion of it for non-patrons maybe we'll give you like half an hour of that review just so you can see uh because i don't like the idea of keeping all this stuff you know stuck behind paywalls mm-hmm. so nobody ever gets to see it that's not really what the patron only stuff is about it's oh, it about is building the community no no i want i want people to pay otherwise they don't get our best work <laughs> capitalism baby but certainly if you would love to go hear our entire review of dummy crats and like i said uh, over there, if somebody can find the remainder of that, we will we will probably do the rest of it, <laughs> which would be a whole lot of fun. It would uh, but I have one correction to make from that, which I'll just make here, which is I was apparently incorrect about what Kratom is. Mm. Um, I thought that Kratom was that fake weed stuff that people overdosed about and that I watched a Vice News 20-minute YouTube piece about. Uh, apparently, I was incorrect. That is something different. Uh, Kratom is apparently like a synthetic mix between opioids and stimulants. I don't know exactly what it is. One of our our patrons explained it to me. I still don't entirely know uh, because it's never been a thing that I've used, and so I I don't know about all that. But... 
apparently I was wrong, and I do want to correct myself. So in the words of the bard, uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Mm. Fins the left, fins the right, you know, only girl in town. Yep. Um, that's who they mean when they say the bard, right? Jimmy Buffett? Yeah, that's yeah, I'm pretty sure. About? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so my apologies about that. Who did you also, say was, which band were you like, this is everything your English teacher told you Shakespeare is? Oh, that's fucking Steely Dan. Yeah. Steely Dan is everything your English teacher told you Shakespeare was. Every yeah. It's all about sex. They're just talking about sex all the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is what my English teachers told me Shakespeare Okay, you was. had weird English teachers. Not everything <laughs> is about sex in Shakespeare, I promise you. Benedict, I had a high school in- English teacher who spent like an entire class telling us how about how a witch's thumb was a dildo, okay? That's so, wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I was told that, by that a is, fucking person with, is, a, that is with a master's degree in English. No, yeah. they lie People are to fucked. you. People are fucked up, Benedict. Uh, last update this week. First off, uh, Benedict, or not first off, but Benedict asked me about the Confederate flag uh, during the lost cause of the Confederacy issue and why that particular flag became the most popular. I did a little bit of research on that, and I found uh, a National Geographic article as well as some others that said that it was because that particular Confederate batter flag was the one that was chosen by the Dixiecrat Party as their symbol gotcha. in the 1940s. That sucks. Yep. Yep. I mean, the, the Dixiecrat party was a registered political party. They yeah. did separate and became a party, so they I guess they needed a flag. I mean, Does, yeah, you would. Do the Democrats have a flag? Uh, I don't know if they have an actual... Is it just the fucking... Um, a D? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No, like the... Yeah, maybe the D, or maybe... Is it like the donkey? I don't know. That's like the animal symbol, but I don't know if they have a flag. Anyways, I that, guess the Dixiecrats adopted the Confederate battle flag, and mm-hmm. that's why it became really popular. So that's... Uh, that's how that happened. So, there you go. All right. Got that one. Yep. Anyways, couple of additions to the Spooky World New World Order this week. Uh, so many people really apparently liked the last episode about the lost cause of the Confederacy and shared about it. So, thank you all so very much. But in particular, in particular, burp in the middle of that, of course, Lovely. I have to give a shout out to people who shared it in a special way, recommending it to others. Mm-hmm. So, thank you so very much to Scorpion Bird's Peach Tree Dish Collection. At Scorpion underscore Bird on Twitter. We all, I think most of us know where that came from. Our girl Marjo. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Long-term patron Taru Takan as well. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. And Dan Irizarry. You are now part of our New World Spooky World Order. Thank you all oh so very much. And of course, if you would like to become part of the Spooky World New World Order, blah, you can tweet or post about the show on social media, recommending it to others, and send me a screenshot or tag us. Leave us a five-star review wherever you can and drop me a screenshot to let me know. Make a donation to a worthwhile charity, become a patron, or just get my attention with something good. Benedict, all that out of the way. It's morbid time. Why don't oh, God. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it's morbid time. But sure. Uh... <laughs> Why don't we start off with our weekly Mark Levin audio clip? Oh, God. We're drawing this out fine, because there's fine. such there's, little content yeah, in the really chat very, this week. We always say that. We often say that. Oh, but there, that, that there genuinely really is, is very week, little though. this week. <laughs> so, Benedict, I have three clips uh, selected. I will let you make the choice. Would you like to hear about guns, racism, or fascism? Ooh, uh, fascism, I think. Oh, you want to go with fascism? Yeah, okay. sure. Why not? Well, Let's hear Mark's take. I mean, it's it's all fascism, if we're yeah. going to be honest about it. But uh, this is uh, Fox News host Mark Levin on, why did I say it that way? June 3rd, this was Friday, uh, c- 
complaining about Peter Navarro being arrested and uh, and that it's it's because of uh, Democrats going after their political enemies. Sure. Peter Navarro is the former trade advisor to President Trump. The January 6th committee. By the way, after having heard uh, Michael Savage in our Dummy Kratz uh, mm-hmm. review, can you not see how Mark Levin is such a bad talk show host? Yeah, he he's so his words boring all the time. He's such a bad radio voice compared to Michael Savage, who, by the way, is a fucking psychopath. I said that there, and I'll I'll note it here: fucking psychopath. Yeah. But at least he's entertaining to listen to. Yeah. Subpoenaed a wide swath of information they demanded from him, as well as his testimony. As you know, it's been my contention that that committee is basically a front for the Justice Department's criminal investigation, which makes its activities utterly and completely unconstitutional. Not because of reasons other people have been saying, but because of separation of powers. So the the, pan, the January 6th committee, you know, discovering evidence that it then makes public, mm-hmm. unconstitutional. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Unconstitutional, we know. Not not because of other reasons, but because he has a special reason, separation of powers. That's, that's just bullshit, of course. Yeah, of course. And when you're using a committee as a Trojan horse to stalk individuals or to, to try and find individuals, individuals and throw a very wide net hundreds and hundreds of interviews and so forth, and your purpose is really to provide that information to a federal grand jury or U.S. attorney or the criminal division of the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. You are effectively... Fascist! ...violating the constitutional rights of individuals through the back door. Ooh, through the back through door. The That's blinds, a rough way. The most, <laughs> the most difficult you way. C- you could apply for, attend, and graduate from law school during the gaps between his words his as he pauses, is speaking. Yeah, he's, Jesus, he has the longest a, pauses. He does, yeah. It's a lot. That really just drives me nuts. And, of course, the media play along. Mark Meadows, Steve Bannon, Dan Scavino, and uh, Peter Navarro, all held in contempt of Congress. Because they were subpoenaed, and then they didn't show up to Congress. Yeah, that's kind that's of the way why. that works, isn't that's, it? That's, funnily enough, <laughs> if, you are, if you hold Congress in contempt, then funnily enough, they are won't to hold you in contempt of Congress. <laughs> Two of whom have been indicted. Bannon and Navarro. On what chart? You know, like, here's the why? Deal. Why do we think well, that they, is? They were indicted for failing to comply with a subpoena. Yes, which yeah. is which putting they them in did. contempt of Congress. Which they yeah. admit that they did. Yeah. Today, they picked up Navarro at an airport, and they put him in handcuffs and leg irons. I don't know where he gets the leg iron thing. Is he he really, is he going to just call this fascism? Is that the whole clip? Of course it is. Of course it is. I mean, Peter Navarro was arrested at an airport. I'm sure he was put in handcuffs. I'm pretty sure that leg iron things is just made up to make it sound more ominous, sure. but yeah. Handcuffs and leg irons. Because they said he was an escape threat. Man, 72 years old, he's known all over the place, he's no escape threat. 
He was yeah, literally getting on an airplane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Also, the criminal justice system kind of sucks for people who are arrested, I would say. Yeah, and I mean, it comes down I love, to, I love, right? I love when conservatives learn that in real time in front of oh, you. Like, oh, it's shit, really it what this sucks. is. It's so what this is, which is white conservatives learning that it really sucks when they are treated exactly the same as every other person who comes into contact with the criminal justice system. Yep. Now, I, as someone who represents, uh, you know, criminal clients as a lawyer, am very much against the things that our criminal justice system does. Mm -hmm. But trust me, Peter Navarro and Steve fucking Bannon were treated much better than any of my fucking clients ever has been by the criminal justice system. But, oh, it's just horrible. It's just so horrible the way they were treated Mm -hmm. when they blatantly violated the law and then faced the consequences for that. Right? And I, I have no... I have... Such little sympathy for white-collar defendants like this who have the best lawyers. Oh, actually, Peter Navarro very stupidly thinks he's going to re- represent himself yeah, and get away with this. Yeah, degree in, like, economics or whatever. Right, yeah! He's a fucking, he's just some fucking rich douchebag who thinks he knows everything, knows nothing, as a matter of fact. Yeah, and is going to out. keep digging himself a deeper hole. Yep. Oh, God. Well, I don't think we need any more than that. That's No, uh, I don't need to hear him call it fascism. That's fine. Uh, the other two clips I had, uh, by the way, were him defending the white dominant culture of the United States. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the other one was saying that we need to uh, bring back, like, prayer in schools and Judeo-Christian principles to stop these mass shootings. Yeah, that's boring. Yep. Yep. Stuff we can get anywhere. So, Benedict! All that out of the way, why don't we continue our book review of American Marxism by Mark Levin, who hates the Coors Light twins. <laughs> Benedict, do you even know where my joke from the intro came from this no, week? No, no, no. Okay, that is such, it is a very America-centric thing. Yeah, it's a very In the late 90s and early joke. 2000s, there was a series of Coors Light uh, commercials where it was just like dudes singing about things they love, and it always ended with, and twins! That was it. Okay. That was the whole thing, and... They were kind of great commercials, if I'm being honest Yeah. It. Okay. Anyways, Benedict, what did we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the first half of, what is it, chapter five now that chapter we're on? Chapter five. Which yep. is, uh, which is uh, I have not got the page open at all, uh, Climate Change Fanaticism, in which Mark Levin literally does not write a single original word. Like, no. not, even, oh not even pretending to do it this time. This is possibly the least original text that we've gotten in a chapter so far. It was really astonishing to it me. It was <laughs> amazing. Really amazing. Like we, say, we, we often say there's not much substance here. Also, in which he fails to address anything that anyone in the real world yeah. um, cares yeah, about. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll get there. We only did the first half of the chapter, to be fair. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have an alternate chapter title? I do. It's week? it's the one that was supposed to be the watermelon. <laughs> did we do that on the regular show we or did, on a patron yeah, only? We did. We did I thought that. we did it on the patron only. Uh, maybe. Oh. I don't know. I thought we did the regular uh, show. Yeah, we did the, the Glenn Beck uh, watermelon. Uh, green on the outside, red on the inside. I was so surprised we didn't get that like in the intro page of this chapter. I really was. Yeah. Because, by the way... In the chapter title, climate change is in scare quotes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because of course it's going to be, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, My alternate chapter title, by the way, uh, Protocols of the Elders of Ecology. Oh, okay, yeah. Because this is just... fully conspiracy theory. Oh, this whole chapter is just crafting a conspiracy theory about people who believe in science and climate change Mm -hmm. and, you know, anyone who cares about the environment. But why don't we get started um, with this quote from the beginning, which is, uh, quote, 
Capitalism has been explained in many ways by many brilliant scholars and philosophers, but a useful and concise definition, workable for the purposes of this chapter, is provided by economist George Reisman, Professor Emeritus of Economics at Pepperdine Economics. University. Economics. I can't talk today. And author. Uh, Benedict, what do you want to bet uh, this guy's not a real economist? Uh, pretty high. I would say, yeah. He say literally was a protege of Ludwig von Mises. Mm, so, okay, um, so really like a, a hardcore economist then, I would say. Well, uh, as I have said many times, and as I will continue to hold, uh, anyone who believes in fucking... Von Mises-style anarcho-capitalism, and who believes in particular uh, in in the the bullshit that Von Mises... Why am I blanking on the name of this, the Austrian school, yep. economics, is not a real fucking economist. No. Because that's not economics. No. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's just arguing bullshit from bad first principles. Yep. From very, very bad first principles. But now uh, he gives us a block quote from one of Reisman's books, which is apparently just titled Capitalism, which is, quote, Economic activity and the development of economic institutions do not take place in a vacuum. They are profoundly influenced by the fundamental philosophical convictions people hold. Specifically, the development of capitalist institutions and the elevation of the level of production to the standard it has reached over the last two centuries presuppose the acceptance of a this-worldly, pro-reason philosophy. Indeed, in their essential development, the institutions of capitalism and the... So you get an idea that maybe this chapter isn't about climate change at all? No, not at all. Not even a little bit. (laughs) The funniest thing about this is, like, this whole quote is, like, the world is the way it is because it developed that way. Like, what are you talking about? It's weird because it also... So later on, we're going to get part of an argument. I don't remember who he took it from. He might have taken it from a high... Again, all the arguments just come from giant block quotes from other people, obviously. Maybe he took it from Hayek. Maybe he took it from Ayn Rand. But there's... At some point, he gets real mad that people think that economies are created by political forces and don't spontaneously form out of nothingness Mm -hmm. and all that bullshit that they always claim. And it's... uh, That beginning quote sort of contradicts that argument uh in my reading of it anyways so yeah but yeah so we got these a bunch of anarcho-capitalists uh being cited in this chapter and i'm not joking the only opponents for the portion of the chapter that we read to any of the climate people uh are are just anarcho-capitalists that's the only people he's citing yeah and he decides this guy reisman he cites hayek he cites Friedman, mm-hmm. he cites Ayn Rand, and I, by citing, I mean block quotes, giant portions of, all right? So it's strange. Yeah. This chapter is strange because, as I texted you earlier, at least Glenn Beck, you know, addressed real things that people argue. Yeah, yeah. But what he's going to address in this chapter, the entire 20-some pages we read for this week, is the degrowth movement. Which is not a thing anybody fucking cares about. Like, sorry, or has even heard of. Like, I like again. Once again, I'm fairly my my alternate. Like, what did we read this week? Was like in which Glenn Beck creates a straw man the size of the not Glenn Beck again. I did it again. In which Mark (laughs) Levin creates a straw man the size of the Wicker Man and then sets it on fire. (laughs) Yeah, that is pretty much what's happening here, but. I had only heard of the degrowth movement because I am, you know, I pay so much attention to the right wing and probably 
at some point, it, you know, became a boogeyman for these people, and Mark Levin remembered that and decided to do a chapter about it. Yeah. Because it they want to pretend. and Mark Levin's just right. getting around to addressing it. <laughs> they want to pretend that the degrowth movement, which just is a basics, is like, you know, maybe a couple thousand people, you know, seriously belong to the degrowth movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wants to pretend that that is the core of... Uh, uh, climate activism. Yeah, yeah, is, the is, whole and, and of course the left. Um, and of course, despite the fact that uh, some of the people he block quotes in this chapter talking about the degrowth movement who support it are a, a, reject core concepts of Marxism. Um, in the block quotes he puts in the book, of course, we know that degrowth is also a Marxist idea because it doesn't matter what the people say. You just yeah. write it down and and the, and you've won. Because people will read your words and and they like you, so they they follow mm-hmm. what you say, and that's depressing to me. <laughs> oh yeah, extremely. So yes, the degrowth movement is a movement, uh, mainly um, academic, because there is no real degrowth policy being put place put in place anywhere in the world, and likely will never be because it's just not going to happen. Um, so there are like. You know, a couple of scholars who are writing about how we should really, you know, r- reverse. Yeah, I can things. find you scholars that say anything, though. That's the thing. Right. Literally, I like... know. I know. And I think a lot, you know, because these people all hate colleges because they think they send their kids off there and they turn into liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think that's part of how this whole thing works that they do, where they they think uh, well, it, again, it goes back to the people at the top versus the people on the bottom. The people who are listening to Mark Levin think that because he can find some people saying some shit that sounds weird and crazy to them, that that's what all these people believe. Mm-hmm. I don't know to the extent to which Mark Levin believes that these things... He certainly pretends that these are widespread ideas, yeah. even though they most certainly are not. I don't know the extent to which he, being the person who presumably did 20 minutes some of research, research for this yeah. book... I don't know the extent to which he actually believes these ideas are widespread. I have no idea. But anyways, he starts us off with a Hayek quote, mm-hmm. which, by the way... Yeah, Hayek, Friedman, and Randall. And yeah, in a row, great, yeah, in a row. In a row. Like, <laughs> bingo. Uh, yeah. By the way, everyone always does F.A. Hayek. Just put Friedrich, you dumb fucks. Mm-hmm. Just put it. The, initials do not make someone sound more distinguished than they actually are. No. And and Hayek is a fucking nightmarish dumb shit of a human being, so I don't really care how distinguished you try and make him sound. But uh, the quote we get from Hayek is, quote, or portion of it anyways, One must appreciate that the extended order results not from human design or intention, but spontaneously. It arose, and this is about the economy, of course. It's the market. It's like the invisible hand. Right. Isn't it? The- it arose from unintentionally conforming to certain traditional and largely moral practices, many of which men tend to dislike, whose significance they usually fail to understand, whose validity they cannot prove, and which have nonetheless fairly rapidly spread by means of evolutionary selection. Ah, yes, capitalism, the great moral equalizer. Yeah, of course, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Continuing, skipping down a little ways. The dispute between the market order and socialism would destroy much of present humankind and impoverish much of the rest. We generate and garner greater knowledge and wealth than could ever be obtained or utilized in a centrally directed economy whose adherents claim to proceed strictly in accord with reason. Thus, yeah. socialist aims and programs are factually impossible to achieve or execute, and they also happen, dot, 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 to be logically impossible. Which explains why some countries, why no country in the world has uh, 
any sort of uh, uh, socialized health care yeah. system. Or, or because, of course, we know that social, we know that Friedrich Hayek would scream and screech that socialized healthcare is mm-hmm. is socialism, and he just wrote there that they cannot be achieved or executed and are logically impossible. That's why we know that no country in the world has those things, mm-hmm. right? That's why they because they are impossible. Yeah, these people contradict themselves in their own fucking writing. It's just, but people think this is good. People think this yeah, is good also, writing. Again, like, like that Hayek book, that whole thing is like, again, a straw man of what socialism is. And, it really is. But I also mean, yeah. like an idealized version of what capitalism is. Because you can't be like, yeah, capitalism aro- arose out of moral certainty and moral... Right. Yeah, well, Imagine thinking that the market system that we have arose spontaneously yeah. without outside force, without political forces. Yeah. Go fuck yourself. No, the I, market I, I, system imagine, we have currently imagine could not exist without imperialism and capitalism weren't directly tied together. And yeah, the exploitation and I, of Africa and, and Asia and uh, the whole fucking world, really. Like, it, Amer- the Americas, too. Like, imagine thinking that wasn't directly driven by capitalism. Yeah, and I have said a number of times that, you know, j- let's just take a portion of the market. Let's take the stock market, mm-hmm. which they certainly include in this supposed spontaneously arising market that they think is completely disconnected from politics. The stock market, as exists today, would not be possible without government or without political forces. The very forces that regulate those markets are what allow them to exist. Mm-hmm. That is, you could not have a functioning stock market that generates wealth in the way it does and isn't just a fucking Ponzi scheme which people get duped in without government regulation. It would not exist. Yeah, you know it what the stock possible. market is without government reg- regulation? What? The crypto market. <laughs> you know what? Kind of true, yeah. except that there is a little bit of regulation on crypto markets these days, although definitely insufficient. Uh, I had a professor who uh, was always wanted to talk, a law professor who was big on crypto, um, who was uh, nominated to be a regulator uh, okay. of crypto under the Biden administration, but uh, that's still working its way through. That hasn't happened yet. But uh, yes, 100%, you are correct that uh, you get bullshit like, I would even say it's more like... It'd be more like the Board Ape Yacht Club <laughs> and how their fucking shit got stolen. Yeah. Like, that's what you would have in a stock market without government mm-hmm. regulation, right? The fact that, oh, uh, was it Seth Green yeah. who had a fucking NFT basing a show on and, got, and then it got, got stolen yeah. and now he can't make his show anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard of in my life. Uh, but yeah, in the real world, uh, outside of crypto, we have things like patent and trademark registration that would protect people. It's these regulations, it's these government programs that they hate so much, but which allow for uh, societies to function in ways that make sense and aren't just punchlines. Mm-hmm. So yeah, next he uh, quotes from Friedman. And I just kept going, why? Why the, you're a climate this change a climate chapter. chapter yeah. Why are you quoting economists? And I realized it's because whenever these people have to deal with climate change, the only people they can really get who aren't absolute fucking jokes to go on TV and argue against climate science are economists. Because conservatives sitting in front of their TV watching Fox News will be like, well, uh, economists, they know math. Yep. They can they know all, all this stuff. They know how they can look at all the data and figure it out. When we know that, for example, the Austrian school economists um, apparently don't believe in math because they don't, as no, we talked about they, in the past. Yeah, we, yeah, we've talked about that before. Go back and listen to our episodes on Austrian economists. Yeah, 
Go back. Go listen to the greatest rap battle of all time. Oh yeah, I, I will. That still holds up. I I listen to that like once a month. Uh, the the rap battle, not the episode. But uh, I'll go back and listen to that rap battle. Anyways, um, yeah, we get some Milton Friedman, and I I don't really care. I, I don't give a shit about Milton Friedman. We've talked about him enough on this show that I just. I just don't really care anymore. But he's complaining um, about, uh, you know, uh, you gotta have uh, capitalism to have freedom, which is, is of course, um, not true. Uh, but he says, quote, History suggests that capitalism is a necessary condition of political freedom. It is, of course, also possible to have economic arrangements that are fundamentally capitalist and political arrangements that are not free. And then Mark writes about that. This is his own words, finally. In addition to the freedom Americans enjoy, albeit increasingly threatened by, among other things, the movements discussed in this book, capitalism has created a standard of living for the vast majority of the people unparalleled in any other society, ancient or present. It is important to take stock of the vast benefits to human life produced by this remarkable economic system. Indeed, the fact that we need reminding underscores its pervasiveness. And then we get a list of some of those things uh, that he claims that all these these capitalist uh, societies have brought us. Uh, and without fail, almost every one of the things he cites had heavy involve, involvement of the government yep. or government funding. <laughs> Which I just enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And also there's this bait and switch they do throughout this chapter, the people he's block quoting from, where they will say industrialized civilization. Or Ayn Rand wants to talk a lot, and she's quoted a, a good portion in this chapter, wants to talk about the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. And they pretend that, you know, that's it's all capitalism. The Industrial Revolution is all capitalism. That's why it came about, not, you know, scientific discovery. That's the thing, about and the that, that's, why, like, that's where I got to. Like, yeah, life's better now for us than it was 500 yeah. years ago. But that was also true of people living 500 years ago compared to people 500 years before them. And every, right. like, 500-year tranche before his, uh, of history, apart from maybe, like, the ancient Romans through to, like, 500 AD. That's the only time where life has got substantially, like, not substantially better 500 years at a time. And capitalism right. and only came about not... in, like, the 18... 18- like, capitalism as we know it is an 1800s thing. So... Right. Maybe 1600s, could... if you talk about the Dutch stock market and, uh, you know, stock market capitalism Goddamn being born. tulips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the you could... Re- Ponzi scheme. <laughs> I don't think you could realistically argue even that life for, like, uh, you know, uh, pick pick a, uh, the Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the beginning of socialism to now is not better. Now, they would probably argue it's, well, because they're actually incorporating capitalism but then they'd still scream about communism and Mm -hmm. socialism and that's a big whole mess that they're not prepared to deal with and we don't have to yeah but anyways i just wanted to point out that they keep using i would say life is certainly better for the vietnamese than it was in the 60s definitely was definitely is uh but they keep using industrialized pretending that it's equivalent to capitalist and of course that's not an equivalence Mm -hmm. Uh, But he does note, which surprised me, quote, and while some people in countries may be hungry or homeless, dot, dot, dot. And this is a quote from Friedman. See, he's using the three dots when he's not ending a sentence. So it is three dots. He he still does the four dots in the middle of the sentence sometimes. That makes no sense. I know, but I'm just Because you don't need to put an ellipses at the end of your quote. I know. It does not make sense. And while some people in countries may be hungry or homeless, dot, dot, dot. It is certain that no one in the industrialized countries needs to be hungry or homeless. Written by Milton fucking Friedman, Mm -hmm. who does not believe that you need to take care of the hungry or homeless. Mm -hmm. 
So that's the bootstrap so, thing? Yeah. Uh, he then goes that uh, industrial civilization has improved the iron and steel pipe. Iron and steel pipe, sure. apparently. Just, uh, yeah. Hugely. Chemical purification. Wait, you know and what else it produced? Systems. The fucking lead pipe, which poisoned <laughs> poisoned people for like dozens of years. Again, I would point to the massive amount of government spending involved in research and development all over the goddamn place. That's true. As well None as the of fact these things exist many... without like handouts from the government. Yeah, many of the industrialists that these people always want to point to, a great amount of their wealth came from government contracts. So literally taking money from the government and putting it into, you know, whatever R&D they're even doing internally. Even if it's not just independent grants and things. A great amount of their wealth. Even the fucking, the Hershey's Chocolate Company, Mm -hmm. right? During World War I, Hershey's made a shitload of money by selling chocolate to the U.S. government that kept their company afloat. That's like, or World War II, maybe, rather. Great Depression. They sold chocolate to the U.S. government and kept their company afloat. Like, you can't make that shit up. It's fucking ridiculous. But then, safe drinking water. Okay, we're Great. talking literal, literally public infrastructure. Yeah. Literally public infrastructure, yeah, which yeah. is not uh, this this capitalist uh, shit they want to talk about. Which, um, you, also, like, you know how much people would... Ch- like, if, if, if it hadn't been public infrastructure, can you imagine how much we would pay for safe safe drinking water? Oh, so much. Yeah. So fucking much. It would be a, it would be insane. Uh, vaccines. Uh, ah, yes. Famously not funded by the government. Famously no government funding on those. Antibiotics. Famously no government funding also, for any of Also, invented by accident researches. in a university. Like... <laughs> a university, Benedict, which had what kind of funding? Public funding. Public funding. Also, vaccines. Uh, Salk, motherfucker. Yeah. Salk. Show it a Salk. Uh, just go look at that guy's career. Look at his connection with government funding. Look at what he decided to do in your capitalist society mm-hmm. of giving away his polio vaccine for fucking free. Yeah. You also, asshole. the other thing is vaccines kind of invented by accident, not by capitalism. Again, like it <laughs> was a thing. Yes. Yeah, smallpox was rampant, and then people that had cow- had had cowpox weren't dying of smallpox, and yep. someone went, "Huh, that's weird." And then infected people with co- cowpox. <laughs> people volunteered. Again, it's a public project volunteering to be infected with cowpox, and that's how we eradicated smallpox mostly. But then the Friedman quote ends with quote. It is such accomplishments in the foundations of public health and medicine, along with the improved nutrition, clothing, Sorry, can and you say, shelter. Can you say the start of that bit again? What is in public, public health? health. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. Improved nutrition. Jesus Christ! He wants to overlook, like you know, fucking. Uh, uh, I'm, why am I blanking on the book uh, that had to do with the Guns, rats and the sausage? And was that no rats and the sausage? You know what I'm talking about. Um, no, why am I blanking me? on the guy's name? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Why are you not no remembering? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, God damn it. Now I have to Google it. Great. Now I have editing I need to do at the end of this episode because I, I thought maybe this week I'd get a clean go through. Uh, rats in... If I just Google rats in sausage, uh, it's going to come up and it's going to be the jungle, dumbass. I don't know. You know about the jungle? I've never heard of this thing. How have you never heard of The Jungle? I don't know what it is. The Jungle is a book. Uh, it's written by Upton Sinclair. Oh, I know Upton Sinclair. Yeah, where he talked about going undercover into the meatpacking industry and how they had rats ground up in the sausage. Uh, yeah, and that yeah, prompted yeah. the beginning, you know, uh, yeah, it's regulation the, the of the food yeah, industry yeah, yeah, in the yeah, United yeah, yeah, States yeah, yeah, that yeah, made yeah, food healthier and yeah, safer. No, I'm with you. Yeah, I definitely. Yes. Yeah. 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 <sighs> God damn it. 
Uh, and he finishes, what's the end of that quote? And radically reduce the incidence of almost every type of disease. So yeah, public health, great capitalist. Again, because these people are anarcho-capitalists who believe that anything government does is socialism. Like, you can't make that argument. You just can't make that argument that it's public health that's doing all this, no. this great and amazing stuff. But now we're finally going to talk about, he starts off right, uh, Mark Levin does finally, him speaking, saying, quote, Conversely, the so-called environmental movement of the 1970s has developed into another avenue to attack American constitutional republicanism and, of course, capitalism. So, so this is that, like, green on the outside, red on the inside. That's why he yes. spent so long. Yeah, yeah. Yes, he continues, from clean air and clear water to global cooling slash warming slash climate change, the goal of many of the leading intellectuals behind this effort has been the introduction of Marxist thinking and objectives through the guise of environmentalism mm -hmm. as the Green New Deal, which promotes economic regression, radical egalitarianism, and autocratic rule. But the movement has expanded well beyond that to include virtually every programmatic and agenda-driven goal of American Marxism, which has been embraced to one degree or another by the Democratic Party, among others, because he has to end everything with an etc. Yeah. in some <laughs> and form so or on another. And so forth. And things and he of that always nature. does. Yeah. So of course, so he we get tells on to us, the degrowth, right? Let's talk about that. Right, right. He tells us it's Marxism. It's all critical race theory. It's like he's he's just trying to like tag in every like Republican scare point into yeah. Marxism, like. It absolutely fucking is. So he starts off and he tells us at the core of this, at the core of the environmental movement is the degrowth movement. Again, you had never heard of fundamentally degrowth not true. Had you? I had some. I had some recollection of hearing uh, the right wing scream about this. I'm before. sure. I'm sure uh, I've heard of it again in passing. But like, if you'd asked, and again, I could guess what it is. But like, I definitely am not. Yeah, it is a semi-organized academic movement. And as I said, I looked into this uh, before we started recording today, and I found like they have had a handful of conferences in like the late you know 2000s, early 2010s. I think their most recent one was like 2018. And these things get, like, 1,500 people at them. This is this massive movement he's talking about. Whereas, you know, for example, at uh, a COP 2022 or whatever it was that we just had earlier this year, representatives from every country of the world, tens of thousands of people, people who are actually working on dealing with these, yeah. and they're all dealing with it none, from a pro-growth perspective. No degrowth, yeah. Right, because the degrowth movement does want to do things like shrink GDPs, reduce the amount of people... Uh, and a lot of the, you know, you get into like the conspiracy theory side, of, like the Alex Jones of the world, they're like, they want to kill two thirds of the world population. And like the degrowth people who, I, again, I don't agree with, but their response to that would be like, no, we just want to, you know, have people stop having kids as often and we can gradually reduce uh, the amount of people over time. But Alex Jones, of course, thinks that things like coronavirus were a man-made virus made to eliminate two thirds of the population of the earth. Until, of course, he changed his tune on that and decided that coronavirus was no big deal because that's what Trump said. And he's just a, you know, follower of all that bullshit anyways because conspiracies don't have to be consistent. Mm -hmm. You can just make it up as you go. But he starts off and he's telling us about a handful of people leading degrowthers, he said. Frederico DeMaria, Francois Snyder, Filka Sekulova, and Juan Martin Allier, sure. who, household names, right, Benedict? Yep. Everyone household those. We, yep. we all yep. know about them. Millions of Instagram um, followers, etc. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I'm sure they're wonderful thinkers, but I have never yeah. heard of them. And they apparently wrote in uh, an essay, What is degrowth? 
Uh, quote, degrowth was launched in the beginning of the 21st century as a project of voluntary, voluntary, voluntary yeah, a societal shrinking of production and consumption aimed at social and ecological sustainability. And sure. skipping down a little ways. Unlike sustainable development, which is a concept based on false consensus, degrowth does not aspire to be adopted as a common goal by the United Nations, the OECD, or the European Commission. The idea of socially sustainable degrowth, or simply degrowth, was born of a proposal for radical so activism change. Activism is what it is. It's it's activism. It's activism. Yeah. It's it's like we've had anti-consumerist movements for much longer than we've had degrowth, mm-hmm. and they're like, okay, I'm like go back to it. You can see Tucker Carlson supporting uh, anti-consumerist in his words, anyways, not in his actions also, or not in what he supports. But go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, no, go. No, I was just going to say, like, if you have to uh, write an essay entitled, What is Degrowth? <laughs> then like, I, I feel like maybe there's work to do and it's not part of the mainstream movement. Yeah, and I think it's a relatively recent article, too. I, don't, I remember I looked, but I didn't see exactly what year um, that article was put out. But I want to say it was, like, 2010s-ish. They had to write this. Yeah, 2013. Mm. 2013 is the year they put out this What is Degrowth article. So yeah, those are the sorts of things that are written very early on in an academic movement. And as they said, it started like at the turn of the 21st century. So yeah, this is a very small and very new group that it does not make sense why he is spending the bulk of this chapter talking about it. It really doesn't. But of course, to him, all these things they're saying, even though they explicitly know that this is a voluntary movement, he is interpreting it as violent autocracy that is going to uh, impose radical degrowth on people. Even though none of these people actually say that. That's, that's just Mark's interpretation of it, because of course it is. He says about it, quote, Hence, the goal is to reverse the massive economic progress resulting from, among other things, the Industrial Revolution, which created a huge, vibrant middle class and infinite technological, scientific, and medical advancements mm-hmm. that have overwhelmingly improved the human condition. And then with another quote from these four who wrote this article, quote, degrowth has evolved into an interpretive frame for a social movement. Skipping down. For instance, anti and, and this is, I should note. This is so them, funny. This is the funniest bit of the chapter is how he reinterprets it, it is. these. It is, because this is these four people trying to tie their small fringe movement into other things that, you know, the people who are supportive of those movements have never heard of these motherfuckers. They say, uh, understood as a mechanism through which actors engage in in collective action. For instance, anti-car and anti-advertising activists, cyclists, and pedestrian rights campaigners, partisans of organic agriculture, critics of urban sprawl, and promoters of solar energy and local currencies have started seeing degrowth as an appropriate common representative frame for their worldview. So that's those four people trying to say, hey, look, people are taking us seriously, right? We found some people who also support... Similar, Similar things to things, us, but for different reasons. And, and then Mark goals, says yeah. about that, quote, The social movement envisioned by these utopians would drag America into a regressive, impoverished society with widespread economic and social dislocation. That is, a pre-industrialized environment where progress comes to an end. For that is the goal. It's not the goal. Anti-car? The goal is to not destroy the planet. Like, that is mm. very simple. But yeah, go Anti-car? Go parenthetical mobility anti-advertising parenthetical speech anti-modern agriculture parenthetical abundant food anti-fossil fuel parenthetical abundant energy it's so funny you have to so misinterpret what these people 
are advocating for in order to say these things. Yeah. Like, okay, they're in favor of public transit. Mm-hmm. So anti-mobility. Or, or cycling, yeah, they're anti-mobility. Yeah, they're, they're anti-mobility. God, I want some fucking trains and in this country fuel, so bad. Yeah, and abundant energy. No, like if we anti advertising, if we stop propping up the fossil fuel industry, we could actually invest properly in renewable energy. Oh right. Well, I mean, uh, he doesn't address it in any of the portion we're going to be reading about. But obviously, the underlying assumption of these people who are against things like solar power is they pretend that the only way to have enough energy is fossil fuel. Absolutely not that not there true. are. Uh, alternative energy sources that could easily, uh, you know, get rid of most of our fossil fuel use, right? Like we've seen solar pa- California, by the way, has made massive strides in uh, renewable energy sources, uh, solar and others, and it's it's really astonishing how fast they've been able to do so. Uh, but of course, to to Mark, that's just an assault on abundant energy, even though energy is perfectly abundant in California. Um, but I, the one I focused on the most there was the anti-modern agriculture parenthetical abundant food. Like, does he think that anyone supports reducing the amount of food available to the point where like people are starving? Does he honestly think anyone supports that? I, I don't. Probably I don't know, not. Man. I hard I, to I, say. I, it's such a stupid thing to believe. Yeah. But it goes back to, like, so often we hear all these people saying that what the left wants is power, right? And what that comes down to is the ridiculous claims they make about the left don't make sense in any realistic, real-world framework of what people would actually be wanting unless the only goal is power, which is just horseshit, obviously, yeah. but... If all they care about is power, then yeah, they don't care about killing no. uh, 50 million people by starving them. Well, that's what they say, isn't it? Like, there's autocracy and et cetera. Right, right. But uh, finishing off a quote from these four people who wrote this, uh, this article, quote, In terms of approaches, these can be alternatives building, opposition research, and in relation to capitalism, they can be anti-capitalist, post-capitalist, and despite capitalism. Talking about, you know, uh, practical roads forward for their movement. And Mark says about that, quote, And there you have it. For many of the environmental, in scare quotes, intellectuals behind this amorphous yet widespread movement, again, not widespread at all, (laughs) the goal is to spawn myriad sub-movements aimed at taking down the capitalist system. And then we get a quote from Mark's own previous book. Mm -hmm. We get massive block quotes from Mark's own previous writing. (laughs) I love it whenever he does that. I don't know why, but... I just, I can't help it. It it's makes very, me giggle. It's very uh, stat padding. Like, it's it's word padding oh, yeah. for sure. Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, he's getting up there in age. He's a bit lazier, a, little slow, a bit slower than he might have been five years ago or however long ago in his youth. This is a 2015 book of his. But he, in that quote of his, he says, quote, They reject the traditional economic reality that acknowledges growth as improving living conditions generally, but especially for the impoverished. They embrace less excessive incomes and wealth. Degrowthers want to engage in policies that will set a maximum income or maximum wealth to weaken envy as a motor of consumerism and opening borders, parenthetical, no border, <laughs> to reduce means to keep inequality between rich and poor countries. That, so you, you, know know what, that, you know what happened here, right? He wrote about this in 2015 and it's been yeah, a bee yeah. in his bonnet ever since. Yep. Like that's, that's exactly yep. where we're at. Okay. But you know what? That sentence I just read reads so much to me like shitty search engine optimization for a website with the parenthetical no border. Because he's just thinking about how boomers are going to be Googling. (laughs) No border rules. 
That's what it reads like to me. I really love that. But again, all of those things that he listed there, well, then why don't you quote any of these, any of the times he makes the outrageous claims about what they want? He's never providing giant block quotes of no, them saying that. that. He has to interpret that from their words, uh-huh. which are often very different than what he's saying they mean, because he's just making shit up. So we get to one of the next people he's going to be talking about. This is an enemy, of course. Uh, this is a, one of the degrowthers. Another enemy. One of the main degrowthers. Yes. The final boss of degrowth. <laughs> this is uh, uh, when uh, Ganon turns into Ganondorf uh-huh. at the end of... Um, I don't, I don't think we've talked about this. I don't think you ever played uh, Ocarina of Time as a child, did No, you? I didn't. I was not, wow. a, not a Nintendo kid. I was a PlayStation kid. So disappointed in you. Know. One of the greatest games ever made. But when Ganon turns into Ganondorf, he turns into Surge Latouche. Okay, so it's like at the end of Tekken 2, when the guy you're <laughs> fighting turns into a devil, and then you beat him, but he turns into devil, and that's okay. Yes. That's my, yes, that's my that. frame basically of reference. Basically that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, have you ever played the Crash Bandicoot games? Yes. Okay, so like uh, when uh, Dr. Oh, fuck, what was his Neo name? Neocortex or something. Neocortex. <laughs> like, you know, you'll have the final boss battle against Neocortex, and then he gets into like a giant robot, uh, and you have to fight that robot now because you beat him once. Okay, and yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's like that type gotcha, of situation. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So this guy, Serge Latouche, which is just a fun name to it say. It is a good name. Yeah. Teaches at the University of Paris Sud. Um, Not the most and, prestigious uh, university in Paris by any means, by the way. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not the Sorbonne. Not the Sorbonne. Not the Sorbonne. Uh, but uh, he's, yeah, he's a degrowther and uh, apparently also a Marxist because sure. he's, he's writing about Marxism. Great. Thanks. Again? Again, not a leading wow. American academic. <laughs> no. But given we're talking I, about no, American no, no, Marxism. It did not even occur to me that he had to go to France <laughs> to find Where his main you boogeyman find people to believe American fucking Marxism. anything. Honestly, the French, are, like, the French, A, change their opinion every week. And B will riot if like I don't wow, know. wow, the anti-French bias oh, on this yeah, program, you know, Benedict. You know. We're it's gonna my, have to have a show British, meeting. British roots. <laughs> the Hundred Years' War never ended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, most of a bunch France of block- was Britain at some point. So. <laughs> you still have a tiny bit. You still have a yeah, tiny portion there. I don't know how much longer you're gonna have it, but you still got a tiny little bit over there. Um. But, uh, yeah, he's uh, block quoting from Latouche and blah, blah, blah. Who really gives a shit? It's just, just Latouche is writing about how uh, degrowth relates to Marxist critiques. Um, he explicitly rejects Marxist critiques. Yep. Um, of ca- he, you know, he says that Marxist critique of capitalism doesn't, um, con- doesn't comport anymore, with yeah. the degrowth critique because the Marxist critique is still pro-growth, whereas the degrowth critique is degrowth, yep. obviously. So it's Anti-growth. not Marxism. Reverse growth. But uh, Levin is still, see, still Marxism. Mm -hmm. It's like, he just goes farther than Marxism, which is not how that works. Yeah, there's like three pages of Latouche, which I don't think we really need to get into. Yeah, we don't need to talk a whole lot about Latouche. He's (laughs) just really mad about this guy. Urban Sprawl, which obviously everybody fucking loves. Don't we all love Urban Sprawl, folks? We love having to like drive 20 minutes to get to the nearest fucking Starbucks. I think Levin does love Urban Sprawl. Who fucking loves Urban Sprawl? (laughs) That's so weird. Let's let's make our cities really sprawly, but then build no public transport for people to easily get around and make them unwalkable. What a fucking nightmarish society yeah i mean and he finishes it all off basically by saying uh and this another guy he's gone on to quoting named uh, gonzalez who is uh, in the vein of latouche uh, but gonzalez is against uh, you know against 
product he, he critiques productivist economies, right? Because he's degrowth. He wants economies to get smaller rather than larger. Uh, but uh, so, anyways, Levin says about him. Thus, for Gonzalez, Marx's ideological writings provide a thorough ecological critique of capitalism. For Latouche, they are utterly void of ecological considerations and adopt capitalist goals related to production and growth. Yet for both, the enemy is economic progress. So one of these guys agrees with Marx, the other disagrees, so apparently both are Marxist. It's, I, I don't understand what he's, he, he's trying to imply that both are Marxist, yeah. right? The entire purpose of this, obviously. Everything is, is Marxist. Right, because we know what the book, we've read the title of the book, so we know. Yeah. <laughs> we know with the boogeyman he's yeah, arguing Yeah, he should really here. stop quoting non-Americans. Yeah, this Gonzalez guy, I think, doesn't he teach at uh, UNAM? He, he, no, he's Miami. Yeah, he's, oh, okay. he, he's in Miami. But the, the next guy he quotes is in Barcelona, so... Yes, yes, that's right, that's right. But for this Gonzalez guy, this guy, the Gonzalez guy is the one writing about urban sprawl, and he describes it as being deployed in the United States in the 1930s, and I disagree with that ascription of intent to urban sprawl. I don't necessarily think that it was intended in the way that this guy thinks, mm -hmm. because I think the, the larger intent behind urban sprawl was to meet growing populations, yeah, whereas this guy thinks it was meant to look for work amidst the Great Depression. Right. Like, right, this guy thinks that urban sprawl was deployed to uh, increase consumption. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that's true. I, think also, I mean, you have, it may, like, may have been encouraged by like make work programs and things like that. Maybe, as, as but you also have like the white flight work. issues yeah, going on around well, that time. That, so little, there's a different a intent. Later. Um, yeah, but yeah. Anyway. But anyways, uh, so yeah, Mark also disagrees with this guy talking about that. But he says about it, quote, And there can be no doubt whatsoever that this movement has as its purpose to abolish or cripple the capitalist economic system and, by necessity, constitutional republicanism sure. and its emphasis on individualism and private property rights. Okay. Bum, bum, yeah. bum. Yeah, sure, man, why not? Those two are not the same. No. I, I yeah, capitalism and constitutional republicanism, as he calls it, are, are not They the are same, not inextricably uh, linked, and at no point have you made that connection until right now, so... Absolutely not, but we always, I mean, we know, we're a republic, not a democracy. <laughs> We've heard that so yeah, many it's times, it's, it's just boring. So yes, the next guy he goes to is uh, Georgios Callis um, at, uh, where, where does he teach at? No, uh, this is a different guy. This is not the Barcelona guy. This is the ICTA Universitat Autonoma. Oh, that is, yeah, de Barcelona. I have no idea if that's the most, uh, is that the best school in Barcelona? Uh, I have no idea. I, don't know. I think it's a technical school, so it's probably pretty good. Okay, well, um, anyways, again, he has to go outside of the United States yeah. to find his boogeyman for American Marxism. A Greek teaching in Barcelona. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this guy, he's writing about, uh, I guess part of the reason why he picked this guy is he's, he writes about sort of commune type stuff. He's he's a big, big, big proponent commune of like... Big commune guy. I mean, the guy's a hippie, so yeah. fine, dude. Be mad at hippies. I don't really care. But again, you're not addressing the real movement regarding climate change. No, and this is kind of Glenn Becky, right? Like, this is... Right. Like, he... Yeah, I mean, this is what Glenn Becky Anti-utopian stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. and I would also point out, once again, that the main uh, climate change movement, the people who are trying to address climate change, is still a capitalist movement, right? It, like, people like... Um, um, why am I forgetting the name of our former vice president of the United States? Al Gore. Al Gore, um, Al Gore still promoting... 
all of his climate change activism through the lens of capitalism, right? What yeah, you hear him talk, and I would say, about, I mean, like, there's money to be made in climate ch- in addressing which, climate change. That that stuff. is true, um, but also like there's a reason it's called the Green New Deal. What was the New Deal? It was yeah. an economic <laughs> restart, reset for the society that was fundamentally broken. Like the Green New Deal is the same thing. It's 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 again, it is a capitalistic vision. Yeah, but uh, so he writes a lot about this guy who's putting forward his sort of utopian commune-type idea that, again, nobody gives a shit about, and he says about him, quote, Therefore, principles upon which America was founded, such as private property rights, the free flow of commerce, voluntary exchange, and the sanctity of the individual, and the establish—you did and twice, Mm. that's not how you do a list. And is for the last one on your list, you asshole. And the establishment of a government around these principles, which is intended to undergird these principles and limit its own third authority to molest or alter them, are dismissed. And then, Benedict, we get Ayn Rand. Yeah. And the basic quote, I think, of a portion of this here, the first one we get from Ayn Rand, is science is Marxism. Mm-hmm. Because she's not really in favor of, of this. It's a super technological paraphernalia of Marx's economic determinism. Jesus, that woman was... Did you ever even, by the way, crack open nope. the cover it's of the copy the of Atlas Shrugged? Since it I arrived. Say? Yeah, I'm not looking at that until I absolutely have to. <laughs> We're going to have to do that at some point. You realize that, right? Yeah, I know. We don't have an option. No, we I have know. to read it. I know, I know. It's... Look, I read it back when I was younger, and it is a fucking slog. It yeah, is it looks like tough a slog. to get It's through. really thick, and the t- words are really small. So. <laughs> it's really fucking thick. But so, yeah, he's uh, quoting a lot of Ayn Rand, and he's just he's just slobbering all over her. He is a huge Ayn Rand fan. Once again, and that's- should I note, I, I, anytime, she was on Social Security, Medicare, really took advantage of all the benefits while, when she, yeah. uh, she, she died poor. Yeah, it's almost like uh, anarcho-capitalism is a bullshit ideology. Yeah. And uh, if you if you just move out to the middle of nowhere like she wanted to, like she had the characters in her fucking book do, uh, and try and, and become whatever it is, some sort of living gods, um, you end up on social security and welfare because that's not realistic mm-hmm. in any society. But uh, so she's uh, screaming about these ecologists, and I suppose she's writing back in the 1970s or 80s when this is. But certainly the people she's complaining about are very different form of environmentalists than we have today. Mm-hmm. Also, I would note, um, you know, didn't really have climate change as a very deeply uh, developed concept issue. back yeah, then. No, not really. But she describes them as, quote, The deeper significance of the eco- ecological crusade lies in the fact that it does expose a profound threat to mankind. Though not in the sense its leaders allege, it exposes the ultimate motive of the collectivists, the naked essence of hatred for achievement, which means hatred for reason, for man, for life. Which is, again, where I will go to my title of this chapter, uh, you know, Protocols of the Elders of Ecology. This is conspiracy theorizing about what environmental movements are about. Because that's absolutely not what environmentalist no. movements are about. No. But that's the only way you can square your bullshit explanation of your misinterpretations of the words that you're reading from these people with the you know framework you've developed for yourself is with conspiracies. It's the only reason why you can do that. But she says, you know, they're enemies of the Industrial Revolution, and they're like cornered animals, blah, 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 blah. But then we get another guy, a guy described as a leading light 
of the uh, D. Um, degrowth. Why am I blank? Degrowth movement. Degrowth. Wow, it is. It's a, this chapter it's is tough. Slog. Oh, this chapter. It's this chapter is so tough. This, this, so this tough. chapter is promoting the degrowth of my brain. Yeah. A guy named Timothy W. Luke, a professor of political science at Virginia Polytechnic Institute. Uh, not Again, once again, not the best university in Virginia, even. No, even but in Virginia. Just, like, I looked the guy up, and it's like, okay, he's got a, a two-paragraph Wikipedia page. It's like, it, when I see somebody like that, I know that this is not a very important individual. And also, look, like this dude wrote a book. I looked at it, and it's like, so few copies of this book have ever even been read by anybody. Yeah. It's ridiculous. The kind of thing that has you know, zero reviews on the internet and nothing out there. It's just nobody gives a shit. But this guy is sort of writing about intersectional ideas of, uh, uh, you know, how uh, climatology and environmentalism intersect with other things. We know that Mark Levin will completely reject the idea that, for example, one of the things that people in the real world will talk about, uh, you know, freeways run through the poor black neighborhoods, not through the rich white ones, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, when you need to, to put a industrial area in a city, it's not going in the white suburbs. It's going in those poorer neighborhoods. That's the sort of environmental justice that people often talk about. There are obviously other elements of it. I'm just, it's a, a very base level analysis, base level uh, examples I gave there. But uh, Mark Levin wants to scream about this guy talking about environmental justice a little bit. So that's, that's what we get there due. And he says that, uh, of course, Ayn Rand dealt with this as well uh, because she's so brilliant and so smart, and, and that's why she, she died so wealthy and not on welfare. Uh, he says, quote, Rand deals with this too by observing that, quote, in all the propaganda of the ecologists, amidst all their appeals to nature and pleas for harmony with nature, there is no discussion of man's needs and the requirements of his survival, which is just blatantly untrue. Right, all these people, even the degrowthers, even in some of the quotes that Mark Levin has put in this book, they do talk about how a this movement of theirs is voluntary, yeah. and b all the things they propose need to be done in such a way as to provide for the humans well, who the exist thing. on it, this it, planet. It's, it, it's literally human centric. Like it's what we yeah. can do to make the world a better place and continue living in it without ruining it for ourselves. So that's very silly. That is a very silly point. Right. And Ayn Rand here is right. The, the giant block quote, which is all we get, is writing about how these people apparently want to undo the industrial revolution. Right. Quote, that the ecologists ignore or evade, or evade it is so terrible a crime against humanity that it serves as their protection. No one believes that anyone can be capable of it. But in this matter, it is not even necessary to look at history. Take a look at the conditions of existence in the undeveloped countries, which means on most of this earth, with the exception of the blessed island, which is Western civilization. Oh, cool, yeah. Thanks, Ayn Human existence was the the she was referring to there. But, uh... All the there's an underlying assumption to all of this because again they're talking about environmentalism they're talking about reducing um, consumerism and all this stuff there's an underlying assumption that we cannot grow with less pollution mm-hmm. because again Ayn Rand is not talking about degrowthers right because that's a movement that started around yeah, the year 2000 she's just writing about environmentalists uh-huh. and Mark Levin wants to make you forget who she's writing yeah, about it's slice of hand. But the underlying assumption of people like Ayn Rand who are complaining about this is that we can't continue to grow while reducing our effect on the environment or the amount of pollution we put out, which we absolutely can do. Mm-hmm. 
we 100% absolutely can do. So it's just sort of ridiculous. And then we get a giant quote from Marx and Engels in the Communist Manifesto because he keeps going back to... He's you know, trying you to make everything the, Marxist, yeah. Yeah, you, you, gotta, you gotta dip the pen in the inkwell every now and yeah, then, of yeah, course. Yeah. You, you gotta do that. And he says, quote, The condemnation of economic and technological progress by Marx, Engels, and their prodigy, I will remind everyone that Marxism is a pro-growth ideology. Yeah. It is not Which a degrowth ideology. Which one of the people in this chapter has identified... Yeah, so this is just sleight of hand, once again. is the, In this Marxist-oriented movement is not merely a demand to restrict technology, but as Rand asserts, Ayn Rand, as Ayn Rand asserts, the demand to restrict man's mind. It is nature, i.e. reality, that makes both these goals impossible to achieve. It's also not even Te- a demand. Like, everything we've talked about isn't a demand to restrict technology. No, if anything, not at all. It's a, it's a call for better technology. It's it's yeah. not like, hey, get rid of cars and replace them with walking. It's like, get rid of cars and replace them with, like, fucking Hyperloops and, like, public, tra- you know, whatever. How like, dare you bring you up Elon Musk I mean, on this program? Though, but like, you know, you know how I feel about him no, post-Twitter. But you know what I mean. Uh. You know what I mean. <laughs> it, it's, it's, not, it's not an anti-technology movement. And, like, environmentalism as a whole is an anti-tech. It's not Luddite, which, by the way, the Luddites might have been right. Maybe we shouldn't have done this. That's, maybe that would be my hot take. The Luddites would, we never should have done oh, any of this. Better have just gone full Luddite yeah. on this program. <laughs> <laughs> he's pro-white genocide. Uh, he's pro-Luddite yeah, now. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, it's just going all the way. Me. But, uh, yeah, all the boring bullshit aside, uh, he does write, Mark writes, quote, as you can see, it takes one Ayn Rand to tackle the entire academy of Marxist degrowthers. Okay, first of all, there are no Marxist degrowthers. <laughs> Second yeah. of all... Second of all, she is not addressing degrowthers yes, because exactly. they did not exist at and, that and time. And third of all, if you selectively quote from anyone, you can do that. That is how it works. <laughs> I know. But then the next thing he writes here, what occurred in my mind is the only people really calling for this are Tucker Carlson's of the world. Because, as I said, I've been listening to a lot of Tucker he's Carlson, a, and he is constantly... fascist is Tucker Carlson. He is an eco-fascist. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about eco-fascism. He is very much like, who, who wants to live in cities? Who wants to live in a, a con- 16th-story condo over blah, blah, blah? You'd rather just be in a cabin in the woods. He's talking about that all the time. And, you know, the third position of his is, um, you know, superficially anti-consumerism, even though he's very much uh, economically still in support of all these anarcho-capitalist ideas. But the quote that Mark Levin puts in is, quote, Inasmuch as the purpose of this movement is to regress back to nature in a mere subsistence economy, where the communal psyche is anti-growth, anti-technology, anti-science, and anti-modernity, ironically, the irrelevancy of higher education, graduate studies, and doctoral degrees, and the colleges and faculties themselves, particularly in the teaching of hard sciences, technology, engineering, and mathematics, are expendable. Illiberalism and its product, totalitarianism, do not require large educational edifices to enforce the impoverishment of man's mind and spirit or to feed his hunger for knowledge and bare necessity. I thought education, I thought... Uh, Dude, it's your side bad. that is yeah. against education. <laughs> which, which one are we doing? <laughs> well, they would probably pretend that there's a different... Even though, r- regardless of the field of uh, you know higher education, everyone who goes into higher education comes out more uh, left-leaning than, than they might have gone in entering it just because uh of a you know not everyone. facts and not, reality not lean to the some left. people join the federalist society 
Sure, but in general, yeah. if you just look at the, the statistics balance. of it, yeah, the, right, the, the, the facts are they, they come out leaning more to the left. Uh, but I think they would argue, well, that's because they're doing all those social sciences and yeah, uh, liberal arts. That's what's doing that to them. It's not the hard sciences, like the engineering and math. Look at Elon Musk. He's more right now. <laughs> mm. That's not. That's probably how they would argue. Yeah, it's probably how they would argue about it, if I had to guess. But, uh, yeah, then we get some more talking about uh, environmental justice. He's really mad about that. He wants to get all sarcastic about it. Ugh, intersectionality! Yeah. Um, but also, there was a quote here that I just highlighted. I underlined one word in particular because it stuck out to me, and I don't know how it fits into his framework, if he has an internal framework. But it is, quote, Actually, the EJ movement, by which he means environmental justice... Mm-hmm is mostly led and driven by Marxist-oriented elitists, academics, and activists. Like most of these movements, while enticing many unsuspecting followers... Yeah, most is movements promoted... are driven by activists, dude. I don't know yeah, what to that tell was you. The... Like... You knew which word. You knew which word I was going yeah. for there, right? Okay, because if there is a movement, by necessity, grammatically, people are working to further that movement, and we call those people activists. Yeah. So... You can't have a movement without no. activists. That, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> I, I just wonder what the fuck he means by that. I think it's his attempt to pretend as though this is, you know, artificial or something or activist, you know, because there's always the, the Soros paid activist yeah, paid yeah, protester yeah. thing going on. Maybe that's what he means by that. But I just that stuck out to me so much. I had to point it out mm-hmm. because. It's not the first time he's done it, but I, I don't know why. It just stuck in my brain at that point when I was because there's so little to talk about in this yeah. fucking chapter. But um, so this guy Pello is the guy he's quoting from now. We don't need to deal with most of it because it's just it's just equal justice stuff, environmental justice stuff. Talking about and and Pello has a theory that not only do we have uh, biases and uh, hierarchies built in towards people of different races or ethnicities, or whatever. We also have a human-centric bias, which overlooks the value of the natural world and uh-huh. non-humans. Um, so you might say that he's addressing about. human centricism. Yeah, in a way. that's what he's yeah. addressing. And of course, Mark just thinks ah, that's just ridiculous because humans are all that matter. So fine, Mark, whatever. I don't really care to deal with that. But he writes about it, quote, uh, therefore, it must follow that the current society must be fundamentally transformed into an egalitarian nirvana. Is the state to be abolished altogether? Is this transformation achieved by force, repression, and educational brainwashing? Every time. You sound a bit like him. I feel like he you're takes these his people. Voice. He takes. Well, I could, you know, we, we had established that. I, I can do a good Mark Levin. That was eh, yeah, not a great Mark it, Levin. Yeah, I can do a great, decent yeah, Mark yeah, Levin. Yeah. Cut eight, go! Uh, but, uh, you know. Hat tip, it, rumble. Cut eight, go! Hat tip, rumble. Cut eight, go! Uh, but yeah, so he's just mad about this guy, this Pello guy. Pello talks about white supremacy, so of course Mark wants to be mad about that because Mark is a white supremacist, we have established many, many times. Um, and then we get to, mercifully Benedict, the last paragraph huzzah. of the section we're going Absolutely to be reading for huzzah. today. <laughs> and I will read it in its entirety. It is, quote, Of course, Pello cannot explain why, in an open society where people are mobile and free, to escape the kind of systemic racial hatred and multiplicity of abuses he conceptualizes. They choose not to leave okay, the United it's States. it's really fucking hard to move countries. <laughs> As someone who has done it, yeah, you can attest, I easy. suppose. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, you know, uh, 
also people requires some fucking money so if you're if you are being oppressed and you know whatever carry on well there's a, there's a, there's a number of things built into what mark wrote there so for one uh people generally just stay where they were born like there yeah, are, I think you know, that most you're... most people like the average distance people live from where they're born is like 15 miles or something yeah for i me myself personally i am an aberration of the statistics yeah, right because I live uh, hundreds of miles from where I was born. You live thousands of miles I mean, from where you were born. You probably live thousands of miles, do you? No, I live hundreds. Do you? Okay. How big do you think the United States is? Hold on. I, we need to address this, Benedict. I don't know. How big do you think the United States is? I don't know. I, I'm just curious. Thousand, it, okay. I, it is I, like 1,500 miles? I don't know. Yeah, that's not thousands. That's thousand. Yeah, over a thousand. The U.S. is yeah, about okay. 3,000 miles across. Okay. So. You know, uh, I'm in the middle of the country. Sure. I'm not multiple thousands of miles away from where I was born. I don't know what miles are. You are bad at scale. No, I'm fine at scale. <laughs> I just don't know. I just don't know what miles are. Okay. Uh, you're thousand, fully aware what the fuck miles are. <laughs> okay, that one might work yeah, for you. Yeah, that yeah. one might work. As if we um, don't use miles in the UK. I'm just absolutely right. So there's that one. Okay, there's hold also... on. You are 2,000 miles from where you were born. So fuck you. Bullshit. Did you just look it up I, on Google Maps? I did, yeah. <laughs> Am I literally 2,000 miles? 1,970. Oh, no. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. That's under 2,000. Yeah, but that's from the center of the center of the city that I know you're from. So I don't know where you're actually Yeah, from. man. Yeah. That city is not 50 miles across. Uh, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get it. I where you nope. were born was, though. You're shit out of luck, yeah, buddy. No. You're shit out well, of luck. So I still win on this one. that you're bad at scale and cynical, so fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so there's that one aspect of it. Most people just stay where they're born. Second, there's an assumption built into it that anyone who experiences white supremacy or racism or any sort of abuses is going to flee to a different place. That there are not people who, A, just deal with it because that's how most people just deal with situations, or B, may choose to stay and try and fight against mm -hmm. those wrongs and make a better world. So there's those sorts of things. Third, there's also what you said. It's very hard to move to other countries. Yeah. Those other countries have to accept you. They have to allow you to move to those other countries, which, coming from the United States, many might not be so willing, uh, particularly in modern times. But anyways, he continues, quote, they choose not to leave the United States. There are many low or no growth economies throughout the world where nature dom dominates the people and where the majority populations are non-white. The reason, of course, is that for many, if not most in these countries, life is very difficult, if not hellish. In fact, he cannot explain why millions of people from countries where the majority populations are non-white and the economic system is other than capitalistic risk their health and lives to escape their societies and migrate to the United States. Nonetheless, Pello is hardly alone in his ideological fiction and fanaticism, which is fast traveling throughout and rolling over American institutions. End of our portion of chapter five for this week. I mean, to that last argument he's making there, well, Mark, uh, it's not just because of capitalism. It's because the United States has hoarded wealth and opportunity throughout the last several hundred years of its existence. Mm -hmm. So, oh boy, was that... Oh boy. I told you we weren't going to be under an hour this week. No, it's only because you drag <laughs> shit out. There. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, we have to talk about this shit. What's the point of doing it if we're not going to talk about it, right? That's why we do this show. Yeah. 
So anyways, um, I told this to Benedict, I, I might as well say it here. Uh, we've decided that next week's uh, episode of the Lunatic Fringe series is going to be about conspiracy theories. Um, I think this chapter might as well be a good intro to that because he's just crafting conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll be talking about next time. I think I've also decided we're going to have to split the conspiracy episode into multiple parts because there's so much to talk about when it comes to right-wing conspiracy theories. There's no way to fit it into one episode alone. So we'll get there when we get there. But uh, Benedict, you learn anything today? Nope. Absolutely not. I, I love, well, actually, yes, I did. You I learned, learned the, what degrowth I learned, is. I learned the names of some of the leading degrowth scholars. <laughs> Serge Latouche. Yep. Very fun name. Yeah, yeah, I will yeah. say it repeatedly. Serge Latouche. Anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you want more of us, remember you can go over and uh, become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $1 an episode. For patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, early releases of our episodes, and more. And as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. J.D. Mainguess found the song. George Saulnier. Gamork. Tinkersdam. Janet Yutter. Ah, oh, I accidentally gave a shout-out to Gamork because you're a one dollar. Ah, you know what? You're going to get it. You get it this week. It's fine. Janet Yutter. Stefan. Shannon Hellman. Utah Outcast. Pause. Brent Lee. David Garrido. Dave Barwick. Dodd Snow. Chris Palmer. Bad Bible Stitches. Ellie Bartlett. Mockingbird Nation. Bacaw! Benjamin Carlisle. Dexter. Allison. Megan Ruth. Glowrung the Deceiver. Big Easy Blasphemy. Becky Scott Fairley. Stephen and Cindy Dimmick. AJ Brantley. Taro Tucanon. Skeptical Seventh. And Balls Waterson. Thank you all as always for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time. The boys are back. Goodbye. Bye. Club Podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.